Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. If we do not deal with the perfectionism problem in our corporate America, and just again, 92% of people are impacted by some form of perfectionism. If we're not dealing with the root of the issue, then none of the other stuff is going to stick. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I am so pumped to have my good friend, Vitaly Buford Harden. Buford. Buford. Okay. We just practiced this a bunch of times and then I got it wrong again, but that's, I'm not a perfectionist, which we're going to talk about. Exactly. Which is, sets us up nicely, not even planned. Although I do <laughs> want to get your name right because to honor, you know, and congratulations, married, all the things. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. This subject of perfectionism, you know, I see so much of this conversation. I know this impacts relationships, but it impacts individuals so much. Right. And so can you speak to maybe how that presents? Because maybe not someone who might be a perfectionist, but not identify as one, just the collection of behaviors, that kind of thing. So perfectionism is when we define ourselves externally, right? When our self-worth is defined by internal and external pressures, it's when we are outsourcing our self-worth, our intuition, and our decision-making to people and circumstances outside of ourselves. 
So again, we're defining ourselves by these external circumstances or by these internal pressures to, you know, to be what we think we need to be externally. And so symptoms of perfectionism are like imposter syndrome, right? We don't speak up, you know, we're in a meeting and we, we don't, you know, share our brilliant ideas because we're afraid of judgment or maybe what I say is going to sound dumb. Uh, unrealistic expectations of ourselves that we then project onto others. People pleasing, right? We need other people to be happy for us to be happy. Mm, control is a major one. Control is one I'm still working on on a daily basis. Uh, it's when we aren't able to manage conflict effectively, right? So we either avoid conflict or we bulldoze it. And then it's that obsessive thinking, indecision, analysis, paralysis, workaholism, right? We define ourselves by our work. So we're constantly working that need for external validation. So those are some of the ways procrastination. Uh, those are some of the ways that perfectionism can present itself. And I would imagine because those all sound like stressful experiences, you know, and, and are they happening on a conscious level mainly? I mean, I would say conscious and subconscious. I, perfectionism is one of those. It's a coping mechanism that's born in our childhood. So for me, you know, I grew up in a home with two workaholic parents and an alcoholic mother. And the only time I ever got love and attention was for what I looked like and for my grades, right? And my extracurriculars. So I, I, you know, learned, okay, my worth is identified by my grades, these mm. outside achievements, what I look like. And so I carried that into adulthood. Why does it seem like, you know, people who seem to be sort of trained, as you said, to be sort of performance love, you know, I get the thing, I get the affirmation, or right. I get criticized even no matter what, you know, no matter what grade I get, they tell me if I get an A plus, then they'll love me. And then they're like, why didn't you get the extra bonus point or whatever it is? Why does it seem that we play whack-a-mole with it? Like the moment we achieve a job promotion, we don't even take the time to celebrate it. We're already on to that. Well, now I need this. You know, it seems like it's a curse of never actually getting, <laughs> like it right. will never be perfect. Like it would just, it right. just can't. That's the nature of life. Well, because it's unattainable, we continue, you know, to chase it and chase that next high. Right? Like it feels good to have that achievement now, but what's the next one? And we're never, we're never present when we're in perfectionism mode, right? We're not living in the present moment because we're constantly chasing and we're in this space of never enough. So it seems like it's a never ending benchmark, but it also is the source of our motivation. So that kind of, or the source of our hustle, we might then be like, well, how do I hustle without it? Like, how do I achieve if I'm not this way? Right. So for me, like most of the work I do is in the workplace and in corporate, you know, corporate America, corporate cultures. And I teach people to lead with excellence instead of perfectionism. Right. So we want to lead with excellence. But a lot of people come to me and they're like, well, Vitaly, I've achieved a substantial amount of success under the guise of perfectionism. So why do I want to do anything differently? And, you know, perfectionism impacts our ability to be productive, innovative. And so when we can remove that perfectionism limit, we actually achieve more and we achieve the same work product and more without the anxiety, the indecision, the obsessive thinking, that anxiety, you know, all of those external things. So imagine all the energy that you spend on anxiety, obsessive thinking, overthinking, that negative self-talk over a, a typo in an email. It all goes away. And that seems too simple, though. Like, how does one, you know, like, I hear you and I'm like, that sounds amazing, you know, but I've definitely, I remember one time I was applying for a job, which is the worst time to do this, but I spelt in the deer. I put the wrong name, like spelt his name wrong. And I was like, well, I'm never getting that job. Like didn't even, you know, and it was just like one of those things where I just missed it. I was nervous. All the things when I was really young. 
but I definitely killed myself over that. I also didn't get the job. Ironically, if you don't spell someone's name right, that doesn't usually work out well. But how does one even go from sourcing their worth or their motivation from performance-based to like setting a bar of excellence and somehow detaching our self-worth from that? So it's a journey, right? I teach it because I need it the most. (laughs) And I've been on this journey for the past eight years of uncovering and healing perfectionism. But, you know, first it's about just getting curious, right? Becoming a curious observer of your thoughts. So those list of symptoms that I listed, if any resonate, it's like, okay, maybe perfectionism is showing up for me. So it's just about getting really curious about your thoughts and spending like a week or two, just kind of writing all the limiting thoughts that are coming up for you, whether it's related to your work, your appearance, your relationship, something you said, did, you know, like I said this on a Zoom call, or I was really short with my child or whatever it is. So really just becoming... Uh, getting a full picture of the pervasiveness and how perfectionism is presenting for you. What I've done is I've created two types of perfectionism. There's slow perfectionism and there's fast, Mark. Mm. So slow perfectionism is the kind of perfectionism that keeps you stuck, right? So slow perfectionism is indecision. Um, We're not delegating, procrastination, imposter syndrome, conflict avoidance. And then on the other end of the spectrum is fast perfectionism, right? Fast perfectionism is a people-pleasing, the high-achieving, work-hard, workaholism, the chronic multitasking, the bulldozing of conversations. And so it shows up in different ways. And so just by really doing a deep dive on your patterns is then when you can start course correcting it. That's fascinating to think of those differences. Like one is almost yeah. a form of sabotage and the other right. one is a form of overfunctioning. Hmm. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, because we're typically slow perfectionists when it comes to our own goals, but we'll be fast perfectionists for everyone else. (laughs) Right. It comes from someone else's. Yeah. It's like coming to someone, you know, if it's someone else's goals, we'll jump through hoops. You say jump, I say how high, but it comes to mine and, oh, I'm going to put it on the back burner all day. Mm, That's fascinating. Psychologically, how we sort of compartmentalize that. So how do you see that show up in leadership and in businesses? Yeah. So it's, you know, it shows up in 92% of people. So that means it's showing up in the workplace. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) Right. 92%. Uh, So I did a national research study with a firm in Northern Colorado, and we just did a national research study on the impacts of perfectionism in the workplace. And, you know, it's impacting our ability to innovate by 66%. It's impacting our productivity by 61%. It's impacting our relationship building in the workplace by 72%, and it's impacting our confidence by 62%. So it's showing up in a, in a big way. Like a third of our workforce is wanting to leave because of perfectionist expectations in the workplace. 66% of workplaces are perfectionist workplaces. So more than half mm. of our workplaces are having or you know fostering probably by default this culture of perfectionism right with unrealistic deadlines and timelines um struggling with work-life boundaries right not having Mm. healthy cultural norms that's interesting because you think of the like a workplace like that it just seems so common because it's so extractive of people because a corporation itself isn't like a human it's a human system but it's like an organism that if profit is the motive, will do whatever it can to squeeze more, not taking into account the challenges of the people it's employing. And man, I never thought of how that shows up from a perfectionist perspective. Like the culture, if it's really extractive, which anything that's profit driven at the cost of whatever it can to get profit 
is extractive by nature. And so it's like fast perfectionism about the employees. Is that right? Am I getting that right? As you know, I eliminated the use of caffeine and now I've reintroduced it just a little bit in me choosing how it participates in my life, which I like being in control of my relationship with any substance that stimulates me in my mind. And add to that that I really wanted to find something that allowed my brain to perform at its best possible level. I'm in conversations all the time. I'm recording videos. I'm doing podcasts. And so I need to be at the highest performance I can possibly be. So I've been exploring things like nootropics and adaptogens. I absolutely love this company, Cured Nutrition. I love its origin story. It's fully aligned with my values and the integrity to which I want to live by. The product that I love is called Rise, and it's a nootropic that's formulated by their in-house clinical herbalist. And it contains a blend of lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, rhodiola, ginseng, and a broad-spectrum CBD. I love this product. It has allowed me to have greater mental clarity and performance. There's no caffeine in it. So in that time of that midday coffee, I don't have to take it. You get no jitters, you get no crash, and you're getting those functional mushrooms, the adaptogens, and the cannabinoids. And it leaves your brain on fire and your to-do list just gets crushed. So this company, as I mentioned, I love, and they are extending an exclusive offer to you, my listeners. You can go grab Rise and any of their other products for 20% off. Just go to www.curednutrition.com slash create the love and you use the code create the love at checkout. Once again, that's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash create the love and use the code create the love at checkout to save 20%. Remember that product is called Rise and it is incredible. Yeah, but it also slows up, you know, shows up as slow perfectionism too. People aren't communicating well. They're that imposter syndrome. So people aren't showing up in their fullest brilliance uh, and sharing their ideas and speaking up for how they really feel, right? So there's no authenticity. And then psychological safety is actually the number one indicator of a high-performing team. Right. So it is the number one indicator. Google did a huge study in 2013, and it's the number one indicator of a high performing team. And perfectionism cannot coexist with psychological safety. Because it's too goal oriented, not like self. Yeah. Well, there's no trust. Right. If people aren't communicating, Mm -hmm. you know, if people aren't delegating, then there's no there's no trust. Right. If there's not a healthy culture of feedback, there's no there's no trust. There's no safety. If people don't feel safe to speak up in meetings, there's no safety, no trust, no belonging. Right. If relationships are eroded or there's there's, you know, a lack of accountability. Once again, no psychological safety. It feels like it's true of families, too. You know, that's got to be the greatest predictor of family cultural health or culture health. You know, the ability to face, construct truth, speak truth, feel safe to be oneself. I think that's that's true of like relationship, you know, of, of intimate romantic relationships tr- too. And often all of these things are constructed on the facade or the person I think I have to be, which I think is companies too. You see, it seems to be like those are changing, like cultures are changing. It seems like younger generations are not really into it. They're like, no, nah, not into the eight to five. Like I was thinking the other day, I was talking to my friend, Sarah Swain. And she was saying, like, who even came up with that? Like, who came up with eight to five, five days a week? Like, why not 10 to two, Tuesday to Thursday? Like, I'm like, yeah, like, why did we all? Well, certainly none of us got together and made this. Oh, this right. is a great rule. Corporations were like, how could we maximize the use of humans to create right. more? 
Well, it's also when, you know, there was a one earner, you know, one income earner household. So it was also based on that idea. Well, now to survive with inflation and the cost of everything, you know, almost most people need two earners, you know, which shows it doesn't surprise me that in businesses, 66%, you said, are Mm -hmm. perfection cultures. And then what was the other ones you said? You said there was... um... So it impacts our ability to innovate by 66%. It was more so just like asking a series of questions about innovation and creativity and how it relates to perfectionism. But it does, right? Because if we're constantly needing to be perfect, if we're afraid that our ideas are going to be judged, if we're afraid of failure, then we're not going to be innovative and creative, right? That fear of failure keeps us from taking a chance or starting a new project or, or pitching this new idea or just even asking, what if we did things differently? Like, what if we didn't work eight to five? People are too, you know, are too afraid to even say that, right? This, this perfectionism. So it impacts our ability to innovate and it impacts our productivity by 61% and our confidence by 60 or sorry, productivity by 61%, confidence by 62%. It makes sense that if you're afraid of things not being perfect, you will never shift things to a space where they can not work, but could work in a totally different way. This is the root of so many workplace issues, right? If psychological safety and perfectionism can't exist, right? We can teach people how to develop and lead a high-performing team. We can teach people emotional intelligence. We can teach people how to be good storytellers and narrators and, and sell. We can teach people, you know, how to have crucial conversations. But if we do not deal with the perfectionism problem in our corporate America, and just, again, 92% of people, are impacted by some form of perfectionism. If we're not dealing with the root of the issue, then none of the other stuff is going to stick. No, they can't. And I can understand why companies haven't even thought about it, I guess. Because they're. I think companies now are starting to see the need, I mean, to teach relational health, to teach mental health, or to have access to mental health resources. To Because you think of it at the core, as you said, of perfectionism is some sort of often like learned behavior from childhood. And, you know, previously workplaces were like, I don't want to like, let's just stay. Your childhood's your childhood. You come here from eight to five, you punch in, you punch out, you shut the fuck up. You know, you have coffee, you chat around the water cooler, but that's, let's just keep it in the zone, you know? And now you see people really, instead of a place that they went to escape their life, their work, now it is a part of their life. And I think really workplaces that are prioritizing the whole human, which seems to be true of actually every aspect, medicine, you know, all the things that we're actually taking into consideration, the whole person and that workplaces can become, because what you're inviting is that a workplace can become a place of healing, which that's fucked up to think. But if it's a place where the culture is not psychologically safe, it's also wounding or rewounding. Right. Well, so think about it, right? People aren't communicating in the workplace. So we think, well, let's teach them how to communicate and let's give them skills on how to handle a crucial conversation, right? Or how to handle conflict. But the truth of the matter is we need to talk about like, why are they struggling to communicate? Are there are there trust issues? Do they have a fear of, again, not communicating the right thing, upsetting someone, being abandoned, rejected? Like, let's deal with the root of the issue and then give them the skills to be a better communicator. Amen. Singing from the rooftops. Right. How do we begin this journey then? Like for companies, individuals, 
you know, who are like, all right, this sounds juicy. I can see from your stats, 92% of us. I mean, I've worked with perfectionists. I'm their nightmare, but I'm also like, (laughs) I feel stressed because they're stressed, you know, and I, that codependency shows up. Yeah. I'm curious. Lots of codependency with perfectionism, right? I need you to be happy for me to be happy. Right. It's really the forward thinking organizations that are willing to do something differently, right? That are willing to say, okay, we're going to stop with the crucial conversation training for right now and the developing of high performing teams and all this skill training. And we're going to, and even some of the soft skill training, right? But we're going to really start dealing with the root of our issue because it doesn't matter what industry in, we're in, Mark. We're all in the, like all companies are in the business of people. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're in healthcare, or manufacturing, like we are all in the business of people. If our people aren't working, then the company's not working. And so how do we heal? Like you're saying, heal our people. And I think it's even the language around it, right? Some workplaces, even the word heal kind of is like nails on a chalkboard for them. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, "Uh, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. It's just interesting. So first of all, it's just that awareness of, okay, I see these symptoms. I see them showing up. Let's do something differently. And then that curious observation. And I have like lots of customized training programs to do this. Um, But one thing too, I wanted to share, sorry, since we're, I'm going to get back to the data A lot of people think that perfectionism is a woman thing or those that identify as female thing. And so I pulled the cross tabs of the data just to see the difference between those that identify as male versus those that identify as female. Interesting. And those, those that identify as male rated higher on perfectionism than those that identify as female. Hmm. That's interesting. And not by a large percentage, but every area it was higher. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I do agree that if I was to genderize, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now, um, perfectionism, I probably would have genderized it more towards women. I never really thought about why from a pathology perspective, it might be more in women, but I can understand from a pathology perspective too, now that you say it, why it might be slightly more in men. I think when you look at the research on gender, the difference between men and women is is less than the difference within men and within people identify as women, which that at least gives you some spectrum as a person. You're like, oh, good. Then I like, I feel like this is more of a male thing or this is more of a female thing. But really the spectrum within our own genders or how we identify are, are actually quite vast. But I'm, why do you think that men tend to report it more? Did you have like a hunch? Because it seems like you're like, oh, maybe. Because to even look at that outcome is really interesting. I think it's smart. Well, because a lot of people like come to me and they're like, oh, this is, it's a quote woman thing. And I'm like, no, it's a human thing. Like I've known <laughs> yeah. that it's a human thing. And that's why I did the research. And so I was like really excited, but also shocked <laughs> when I pulled the cross tabs of male versus female. And I don't know if it was because the survey was anonymous that maybe those that identify as male thought that they could answer. <laughs> yeah, they could be like, Correctly. okay, this is safe. Uh, right. And then maybe those that identify as female, maybe we're trying to answer too perfectly, if you will. Uh, in the survey, but I haven't gone that deep. I can't show that psychology between the answers, but yeah. 
The reason I actually, when I think about it, would have considered women to potentially be more prone to it is because of the culture we've created in workplaces that it's harder for a woman to move up. There's less women in C-suite, you know, all those that you would think like they either have to be totally badass innovators, but make sure it works or at least risk it. um, Or they're very like high performance, but like within the boxes. So they'd function great in cultures of perfectionism. Although you're right, like I think of the cost to a company of a culture of perfectionism is one, your people aren't happy, definitely on an unconscious level, even though they might feel psychologically in a box and that's perceived as certainty. Right. Uh, the the business itself, and you could bring this to relationships and families, right. never experiences much expansion because the willingness to fail, especially the cost, I'm going for a promotion. I better make sure I keep everything going. So I would have actually right. assumed it was more in women, but I can see that a lot of men got love from, let's say, their fathers. And I guess this would also be interesting to see based on age. But a lot yeah. of men got love from their fathers for their sports performance or their, you know, so. Right. Hmm. And it's the survey was for people aged 25 to 55 that were fully employed um, across a multitude of sectors. But so, yeah, so I think I find that interesting. And then, you know, in terms of like you and relationships, I mean, perfectionism shows up in relationships mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah, it does. How do you see it? Because I know you're an expert in this. You've lived, you're living it. (laughs) So, so nothing like being immersed in our own data. How have you seen that show up relationally? But then also, you know, you've worked in organizations. How did you see it show up for yourself in an organization and, and the sort of correlation to your personal, if you, if you don't mind. So for me in the workplace, when I was leading teams, like when I was in corporate America, for me, it showed up as like I was super critical of my team because I was critical of myself. So as we know, right, we like who we are is how we lead. <laughs> and so because I had these unrealistic expectations of myself, I had no work-life boundaries. Then I had those expectations, right? Not, they weren't spoken, but these unspoken expectations of my team. And we were hitting all the metrics, but we were burnout. We were stressed. We were overwhelmed. <laughs> we were not mentally well. And so it showed up in in that sense. And I think that that correlates to relationships, right? When we don't give ourselves room to be human, we don't give those that we love room to be human. One of my favorite mantras is I give myself room to be human. Like I have that typo in the email or I spelled the name wrong for that, for that job application. Like I give myself room to be human and that has transformed my relationship with my son. So instead of, and, and again, we are a work in progress, right? But I allow him to be who he is rather than who I expect him to be. Mm, that's beautiful. It's such an interesting paradox there that you were speaking of, that the more you allow it for yourself, you can't, if you don't allow it for yourself, you can't allow it for others. It shows you how important the work is because especially, obviously the outcomes of our businesses are really important in our work and But like when I think about how it affects our home or how it affects our relationship with our child, you start to see the same patterns move down your family tree because the father or mother or both that were outcome oriented and only paid attention to us, maybe because they were busy, maybe because they were addicts, maybe whatever. Either way, we then become outcome oriented to our child, maybe overtly hard on them. And I think I'm not a parent. I always qualify that, um, which... (laughs) 
Aaron Sky Kelly, our friend, says qualifies me to give the best parenting advice. She said, "Right." <laughs> she said, "You you give the best parenting advice till you're a parent, and then you realize there's none. It's really hard." And I do think, as a parent, though, that the importance of our relationship to our child and healing the things, because I think we're in a generation and a few generations now where we 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 have more information that we can start looking up the family tree and looking at our own stuff. And then we kind of go, fuck, like I got some things, which everybody has some things. And, and then we have somewhat the resources to look at them. And I think what a gift of a company right. to provide the opportunity to look at these things, looking at it in the context of work so that HR feels good about it, you know, but but actually that perfectionist experience at work, because I, whenever I teach relational, you know, we taught the science of influence, things like that. I did consulting programs on that, programs on sales, communication, you know, relational stuff. What I saw nonstop and still see is that it gives everybody in the crowd, especially men, an excuse to finally look at relational things. And when you look at the research and the crossover between workplace things and relational things you see that it's all the same stuff you know it is i just think what a gift a company can give someone to have them do their healing like that to me is like the profound way that all businesses should move forward hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, because we're in the business of people. And so if we can heal our people, then we heal our workplace. We heal homes. We heal, you know, generational trauma. Yeah. Wouldn't that like to have workplaces be the place we heal generational trauma? Like you take a workshop from Vitaly and then you go home and you improve your relationship with your child like that. And your workplace becomes higher performing. When you heal your, the relationship you have with your child. And I get a lot of questions about that. They're like, well, what steps do I take to help my child with perfectionism? I'm like, that's not what we're going to do here. When you heal yourself, you heal your child. Right. Right. When you heal yourself, you indirectly heal all those around you, colleagues, <laughs> you know, significant other, whatever it is, um, you heal those. So it's really about focusing on, you know, being in your lane and healing your lane. And then all the other lanes are healed, too. What's the feedback that you see from employees when they come to a workshop on perfectionism? You know, they're like, oh, we got another one of those corporate trainings, you know, seven habits of highly effective people or win friends and influence people. And then they get in there and Buford is in there laying it down. See, I can go well, most, most of them are like, I didn't realize you were going to be this vulnerable. And I'm like, yeah, I should probably have some sort of, you know, caution, <laughs> caution or, you know, whatever, disclaimer. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. disclaimer that says we're going to go deep today. Like this is not surface level coaching. So we're going to deal with, deal with, you know, deep issues that are going to impact you uh, significantly in all areas of your life. That's so beautiful. So how do you see people receive that? 
So for me, like one of the things I like to do is really set a safe, like create a safe to set a, a space of safety, right? Because, and so I share a lot about my journey and my journey about overcoming addiction and, you know, my need to, my addiction to perfectionism. And so I share that. And I think when I can set that tone, then people's ability to be vulnerable, like they kind of, their wall comes down. Not everyone's, right? Because some people's mm-hmm. walls are like, you know, uh, panic rooms, but <laughs> you're not breaking out that easily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just cre- kind of creating that space of, of safety uh, and vulnerability then allows people to feel like they can share safely and vulnerably. That's beautiful. To be able to do that in a workplace again, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. It's yes. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you see those walls kind of come down and the people open up and their workplace becomes the source of that. Interesting to think that we're doing like inner child work and we're like going to our, right? Like I go to my, I'm a salesperson at this place. Oh, I'm doing inner child work today. Right. But it's so powerful, right? We heal our inner child. Again, we heal ourselves. We heal those around us. So it's about dealing with like the root cause of everything. And then you can teach people the skills, but you've got to deal with the root, the root cause. But people are constantly saying that their relationships were improved and they're more compassionate towards themselves, right? Because compassion and perfectionism can't coexist either. Compassion and perfectionism can't coexist. Right. That makes sense. You can't have grace and be a perfectionist. Right. Requires us to soften our edges a little bit. Yeah, soften our edges and and really work on changing the narrative, right? Rewriting the story in our heads. Like when we start going off on ourselves in our head, it's like about really like stopping the narrative, getting outside of ourselves and saying like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue that story today. Yeah. And if no one's ever modeled softness for us, you know, it might be in a workshop. It might be from a video. It might be from this podcast, but all of a sudden you just are like, oh, that's how it's modeled. That's what it looks like. So. You said that the one of the first steps is is developing compassion. And then what? You know, I'm curious, like, because having that gentleness with ourselves, it sounds to me like the inner critic would be kicking up a storm after that. They're like, no, fuck this. What are you being gentle about, you little bitch? You know? You know how it is. Once you see, you cannot unsee. Yeah. So once you, like, people see the symptoms of perfectionism, and I'm always like, if you feel personally attacked by this list, no worries. Like, <laughs> They're like, I'm I got everything list. on the list. Woohoo. Oh, yeah. wait. I know. I'm like, you're good. I'm here. I'm holding space for you. You're in good company. But the way that I typically teach stuff is, you know, how to lead, how to lead yourself with excellence, how to lead others with excellence, and then how you lead the business with excellence. So it's about overcoming perfectionism in all three areas, but we have to start with ourselves, right? We got to recognize our own perfectionism patterns and then come with, come up with, you know, actual tool. Well, I, I have tools and action plans that they work on to really overcome and make a lot of progress in the perfectionism within themselves. So again, it's a, a journey. And then once we're done with that piece, then we look at how do we lead others with excellence? How do we come, you know, overcome perfectionism in terms of how we lead others, and we look at, you know, trust, accountability, relationships, communication, and all those areas and how perfectionism intersects with those. How would you define excellence in all those spaces or is it defined similarly? It sounds to me like a, I, my brain kind of orients to like being in integrity with, with it. But I, yeah, I'm curious how you define it. Yeah. I mean, I would say that perfection or excellence is about authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about choosing growth over the need to be right, right? Choosing growth over our comfort zone. That's tough in relationships. I don't want to say anything, but maybe <laughs> I've struggled with that. 
<laughs> I have most definitely struggled with that and overcame and went through like a period of major growth of that just a few weeks ago. <laughs> I'm so good at being right though. Is that, is that a problem? Yeah. It's a, it's a problem for me, but I'm, I'm looking or I'm working on softening in yeah, that area, too. but excellence, like it allows you to achieve all of those things, right? So the difference in terms of like with competition, right? In excellence, you're competitive with yourself. Like, can I be a better version of myself tomorrow or today? Whereas if you're in perfectionism mode, you're competing with others, right? Excellence is about, you know, communication and collaboration where perfectionism is more about isolation, silos, working inter, you know, independently versus interdependently. I like these differentiations. So there are a lot of differentiators between perfection and excellence. But the main thing is you're able to achieve much more <laughs> under the construct of excellence versus perfectionism because you're able to release all of that obsessive thinking. You know, the the negative self-talk, the criticism, the anxiety, the worry, right? You send you have the typo in the email and you're like, "You know what? I give myself room to be human. I can do a double check next time, but like I'm not going to let this run my day." I wish I'd known that at 22. Yeah. <laughs> the exhale, right? The exhale. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. How did your perfectionism, just for people listening, they might really identify with it. How did your perfectionism and your addiction, um, how were they correlated? Because you've spoken yeah. about it before on the podcast. feel very honored to have had you before yeah. speak about this. Um, but yeah, I'm curious if you could yeah. share that correlation. It was that constant need to, to be perfect and be worthy. And so my, my addiction was a 10-year addiction to Adderall, right? And so Adderall allowed me to be really thin without trying, and it allowed me to work 28-hour days, right? So I'm climbing the corporate ladder. I'm thin. I'm not even having to try. Like all these external things, this body image issues, like it, it quieted all the negative like body talk in my head, to be quite honest. Mm. Like I didn't have to diet. I didn't have to worry about what my body looked like. So it quieted all of that, that those body image issues that had formed in my childhood. And then it also, again, like hit all those dopamine receptors in terms of like my need to be this workaholic and achieve, 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 and, you know, have everyone else outside of me approve of me versus me approving of me, like constantly seeking external validation instead of saying like, what does Vitaly want? Like I allowed everyone else to be the expert of me instead of me being the expert of me. So I would say the biggest journey, like the, the coolest thing about healing my perfectionism, and I have not healed it fully, right? But I've made major progress. Yeah, well, it's that I've been able to come back home to myself. Mm. Like I know my intuition now. I can trust my decision-making. I seek my advice before someone else. And so it's been really powerful, but it manifested as a 10-year addiction to Adderall. And then I got sober eight years ago. What a powerful transformation too, because what you've turned it into, you know, what you've discovered. I was reading a stat the other day. I forget what the stat was, but it was an alarming stat. And it was about, I just remember being like, holy shit. And it was the, the percentage of kids in college who've taken something like Adderall. And when I was in college, maybe that just wasn't something that people did yet, or I just wasn't around it. Because I don't know if someone said, you could take this and study really late. 
I'm such a last minute person. I also happen to really love addictions. So I probably would have taken it. You know, I, I'd like to righteously say never, you know, I said no to drugs that I knew would bury my life, but that type of thing, I would, I probably would have been like, let's try it out. And inevitably, you know, even the shadow part of me, when you said I never had to die and I never, the shadow part of me was like, that sounds great. You know, like, Oh, I'm was, serious. That sounds much easier than thinking about, you know, what I'm eating and, you know, and, and I just have to recognize that part because I'm sure for someone listening, maybe your brain went, oh, how do I get some of that shit? Instead of paying attention to why we want the shortcuts, why we want to escape the feelings of inadequacy or achieve through ways that are just not human. Like no one can work as many hours as you were working. And I just want to acknowledge you because I've known you throughout your journey just for how much you have created from this. Like, since I've known you, you are, for anyone listening, Vitalia is one of the most badass transformers I've ever seen. Like, when she knows something, she changes it, and she is inspirational, and just, you're such an incredible person, and I've just been so honored to witness your journey and and be able to learn from you. Thank you. For everyone listening, I knew Mark when he had like 35,000 followers. <laughs> 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 Which was still a lot at that time. I thought that was significant <laughs> then. <you know? laughs> that was still a lot. Um, well, and I think that's one of my purposes in life, right? Like I'm on I'm on this earth to teach perfectionism, right? Turn my pain into my purpose. But one of my other purposes is that I do, I, I, I mean, I believe bigger than most people believe. And I will follow my dreams and make them happen. And I do that so that it can be proof that everyone else can do it. Like, I didn't write a, like the fact that I wrote a book does not make me special. It's available to everyone. The fact that I started my business as a single parent with no savings does not make me special. Anyone can do it. And so for me, I continue to do the hard things because I want people to be the fullest expressions of themselves, right? We, we only have this one life. It is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. And so let's be the fullest expressions of ourselves, right? It's not going to be easy, <laughs> By any means, it's not going to be easy, but it's all possible. Every single dream, like you're not given a dream or an idea or some creative nudge without having the ability to fully do it. I totally agree with that. That calling of the soul, there's an intelligence to it that says, just believe, just start. And that's, isn't that ironic that that's the same experience of faith that we're asked for from churches? You know, it's the same, just trust, just trust. Right. And then I think what's really just saved me as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur is like, you can't miss what's meant for you. Mm. Mm. You know, like you cannot miss what's meant for you. And that's allowed me because as a perfectionist, for me, it shows up as I get really attached to outcomes and how I think things should be. And, you know, I, I pitch to this new client and I can get really attached to whether they say yes or no. Right. And so it's for me, it's like, no, like I'm, I'm not ready. It's not yet. Or it's not meant for me. Something something better is. And that's allowed me to be less competitive with others and really just be able to be my fullest expression. Beautiful. Well, Vitaly, where do people find more of all of this juice? Because I love it. And it sounds to me like (laughs) there's probably a few perfectionists listening and a few people in businesses that would like to have you come in and suggest your workshops and and yeah, so how do people find more of you and your book? Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, so my book's called Addicted to Perfect, and you can find it on Amazon or Audible. 
And um, it's funny because the person who recorded my book also pronounced my last name, Mark, the way you pronounce it. Did they actually? The people who recorded the book? Yes. But I had to, again, I was like, whatever, I'll re-record it in a few years in my own voice. So I had to let it go. I nailed it the second time, just so we're clear. I did nail it when I last named you. Oh, I had to let it go. But um, in terms of finding me, I am taking a temporary pause from Instagram and Facebook for my mental wellness. And it's been amazing just for everyone out there. Uh, But you can find me on LinkedIn and it's Vitaly Buford Harden, or you can just Google the Harden Group. Um, We'll link it all out. And then that's it. Perfect. Vitaly, I'm so grateful for you. And again, you know, I want to acknowledge you for your journey and what you keep creating from this. And I love that you said that your life, like the way you live is proof. And it is. That's so true because I've witnessed it and I've witnessed you create from like use the energy of what feels like a bottom to make it right. the foundation to which you create upon. And uh, so thanks for doing that because everything you create is encoded in that. Right. And it's possible for anyone. Hell yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.